Captain Curls up in the head. Mutiny Radio Festival, ahoy! Ah, very good. Ah, very good, Legless Joe. I'm surprised you can see from the crow's nest with no legs. It's to get ready. Crew, the festival is upon us. Scurvy Steve, how many comics? Over a hundred comics. You're looking good, Scurvy Steve. Glad the scurvy hasn't taken you. Aye, aye, Captain. You, no liver Mary, how many venues? We've got nine venues, sir. And you, boy, what's your name? Very good. And finally, Eleven Fingers Sally. What about the tickets? You can find all of your tickets on Eventbrite, sir. Check out www.mutinyradio.fm. Arr! What is that? I don't know what a website is. I'm a pirate. <laughs> but but quick to the festival. All sails ahead. Arr! Pirate Arr! noises. Ambiance. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. Holy Patrick, Namaste. Every Monday at 6 p.m., it's Joke Workshop, streaming live on MutinyRadio.fm. Lift the veil from your third eye on joke creation. Those comedy scene. Get a fast car. I want a ticket to anywhere. Maybe we make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere. Any place is better. Starting from zero, got nothing to lose. Maybe we'll make something. Me, myself, I got nothing to prove. You get a fast car. I got a plan to get us out of here Been working at the convenience store Managed to save just a little bit of money Won't have to drive too far Just across the border and into the city You and I can both get jobs And finally see what it means to be living See, my old man's got a problem yeah, but the bottle, that's the way it is He says his body's too old for working His body's too young to look like his My mama went off and left him She wanted more from life than he could give I said, somebody's got to take care of him So I quit school and that's what I did 
get a fast car Is it fast enough so we can fly away? We gotta make a decision Leave tonight or live and die this way So I remember when we were driving Driving in your car Speed so fast it felt like I was drunk City lights day out before us And your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder Someone. You got a fast car We go cruise and entertain ourselves Still ain't got a job Now work in the market as a checkout girl I know things will get better You'll find work and I'll get promoted And we'll move out of the shelter Buy a bigger house and live in the suburbs
Taking away every 
one did to my heart Destroying my dreams in a blink of an eye What happened to our human rights? What happened to the sanctity of life? And all those other lies I know that I'm only a child But is your conscience still alive? للعالم لكل انسان في العالم لكل انسان بينوع بحريته ليش احنا بنتحاصر يعني شو عملنا شو ذنب شعب كامل يتحاصر داخل حدود ضيقه لاسباب هو مش عارفها يعني تهيالي احنا ما عملنا شيء لنتحاصر عليه او نحبس عليه نحبس عليه نحبس عليه will be free Palestine tomorrow will be free Assalamu alaikum everyone this is brother Mahar Zain for my latest news and updates join me on Facebook follow me on Twitter Maher Zain, and he sang, uh, Palestine will be free. <clears throat> Song of longing for the Palestinians. And uh, before that, we had Tracy, Ch we had um, Willie Dixon playing my favorite peace song. And if you're getting tired of it, why can't we get tired of war? Stop killing each other. Never happened, huh? But we can hope for it. Willie Dixon, you can't make peace. You can do all these wonderful things, but you can't make peace. And finally, Tracy Chapman, one of those artists, Tracy Chapman, who has her own rhythms and she fits her songs into her rhythms and her rhythms into her songs. Beautiful song about working people in the middle of the city, working at a convenience store, hoping for a better life, which is all of us, huh? This is the B, in case you're wondering. And I'm speaking to you from 2781 21st Street. The name of the show is Labor and Love. And uh, sad to say we won't be here much longer. Mutiny Radio is closing down at the end of December. 
closing down as a site for a radio station. The comedy activity under the hand of Pam Benjamin, who who is our station manager, will continue. Mutiny will continue to be very active in the underground comic scene. Sort of what it is now. Um, the center of the underground comic scene, anyway. That's neither here nor there. We'll have two or three more shows here for Labor and Love, and then it looks like we're moving over to Radio Valencia for the new year. But we'll see about that. Right now, let's have our show. What have we got for you today? Well, Situation Room, Radio Labor, Union Leaders. We'll hear from Sean Fain of the uh, UAW, Sean O'Brien of the Teamsters, who was recently involved in a hassle with a senator, and Sarah Nelson of the AF. CWA, the airline hostess. I'll be talking about the advantages of unionism. Have you ever wondered what it's like to, if you're a white person, if you you wonder about white privilege and you wonder about what you've gotten because you're white and what someone else hasn't gotten because they're People of quote unquote people of color. It's a nice little song called Lucky, and we'll play that. History of some Minnesota women journalists. From Minnesota. And Portside, a history of the Southern Tenant Workers Union, Tenant Farmers Union. We'll touch on that when black and white tenant farmers join together. A Joe Hill feature, who was Joe Hill anyway, and who was Betty Martinez. Betty Martinez recently was taken from us, and uh, Joe Hill quite a while ago. But <clears throat> They're both very important to the lives of working people. And then we've got Labor History in Two and Radio Labor. So let's see if we can want to get some of our credos. Two or three things that we believe here. First is a poem by the late, great Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who founded and ran a bookstore in North Beach. Uh, Pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silent, and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the nation that raises not its voice 
except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero and aims to rule the world by force and by torture, pity the nation that knows no other language but its own and no other culture but its own. Pity the nation whose breath is money and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed. Pity the nation, oh, pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away. My country, tis of thee, Tears of thee, sweet land of liberty. That's Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Pity the nation, huh? Let's see what else we've got. Robert Reich again reminding us that the richest 1% own half the stock market. The richest 10% own almost all 92% of it. 90% of Americans don't have anything to do with the stock market. It's a game played by the rich and powerful, and they're always trying to get you involved in it. And um, see, this one isn't available now. Okay. Let's play our world labor connection. That's radio labor. Listen up and find out what's going on all around the world. Whenever you stand up for yourself and your fellow workers, you're never alone. All over the world, people are doing the same. Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, December 15th, 2023. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, Labor's reaction to the UN Climate Change Conference COP28. The need to train and decently pay teachers working with refugees and singing. You, you are welcome in trouble as your emissions grew and grew. This is Radio Labor. I'd like to give the floor to representatives speaking on behalf of trade unions, non-governmental organizations. You have the floor. That is Ahmed Al-Jabail, the president of the United Nations Climate Change Conference, COP28. The conference was held from November 30th to December 12th in Dubai, a city in the United Arab Emirates. COP28 was organized to help the world face the climate crisis by moving away from fossil fuels. Mr. Al-Jabel is the UAE's environment minister. He is also the CEO of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. It was the first time that the head of an oil company was appointed to chair a UN COP conference. The decision was controversial. Another controversy was that the UAE does not permit workers to organize trade unions. 
This was especially relevant because one of the topics at the conference was a discussion of the fair transition for workers from fossil-based economies to ones that are greener and more sustainable. While the conference adopted some important new initiatives, the fears of attending unionists was that labor unions would not be included in the final statement. Responding to the results of the conference were members of the conference's union delegation, D.J. Pohl and Dan Shirell. Ms. Pohl is a member of the British Columbia General Employees Union in Canada, the BCGEU. She represented NUPGE, Canada's national union. Pardon me here. We looks like we lost them. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. Conference. The decision was controversial. Another controversy was that the UAE does not permit workers to organize trade unions. This was especially relevant because one of the topics at the conference was a discussion of the fair transition for workers from fossil-based economies to ones that are greener and more sustainable. While the conference adopted some important new initiatives, the fears of attending unionists was that labor unions would not be included in the final statement. Responding to the results of the conference were members of the conference's union delegation, D.J. Pohl and Dan Shirell. Ms. Pohl is a member of the British Columbia General Employees Union in Canada, the BCGEU. She represented NUPGE, Canada's National Union of Public and General Employees Union. Mr. Shirell is the Senior Advisor on Climate and Energy for the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU. Dear Chair and Delegates, My name is DJ from Canada. I'm Dan from Australia. We speak on behalf of the global trade union movement. With this agreement, the parties are sending the world a clear message. We are dangerously far behind. There is an enormous amount of work to do, and we still haven't committed to actually doing it. The how remains unclear. First, on the global stock take, trade unions are calling for a just transition away from fossil fuels. And we are glad to see this imperative finally reflected in the text. But the in-text also includes, as referenced by many parties, many loopholes that do not inspire confidence that the parties will do what is necessary in the best interests of workers and all people. The GST acknowledges that a huge ambition gap exists to reach our 1.5 degree goal, and then it refuses to actually fill it. It's a similar story with climate finance. The final agreement acknowledges that a huge ambition gap exists, but again, it fails to fill it. Despite progress on the loss and damage fund, we are still nowhere near mobilizing the level of finance urgently needed by developing countries, especially on adaptation. Mr. Shirell from the Australian Council of Trade Unions also reported on Labour's view of the conference's conclusions. He mentions the GST, which is the global stock take. 
a process which assesses where countries are in their climate change response. A GST report was part of the conference. For the first time in the UNFCCC process, the Just Transition Work Program has firmly established the recognition of labor rights. And social protection has been included under adaptation. These represent real steps forward for workers everywhere. But the GST tells a very different story. Workers and our trade unions aren't mentioned once in the document. This is not an oversight. This is suppression, and it is deliberate. There are parties here that are afraid of workers, afraid of a world in which people get paid honest wages for honest work. This isn't us begging for scraps. You need us to negotiate effective climate solutions, but also to do the actual work. Who do you think is going to build the solar panels and the wind farms and the public transit systems? Who do you think is going to care for the sick and wounded after the fires and the floods? Without the active participation of all workers, the transition will not work. Billions of people across the world are workers. The International Trade Union Confederation officially represents 200 million of us in both the formal and informal economies in 165 countries. But we stand with every single worker in calling for a just transition to a climate-safe future that is actually aligned with the 1.5-degree goal. COP29 will be held in November 2024. A locale for the conference has not been announced yet, but the leading candidate is Baku, Azerbaijan. The economy of Azerbaijan is highly dependent on exports of oil and gas. In Geneva this week, December 12th to 15th, 2023, the Global Refugee Forum highlighted the need to support the rights of teachers involved in forced displacement and crises. Here is one of the teachers who spoke at the forum. My name is Aloyo Stella Oryang, a South Sudanese refugee teacher in Palabek Refugee Settlement in Uganda. Being a teacher is the most important thing I've ever done in my life. A passion I pursued, not because of a chance, but a dream to become a teacher to be able to serve the children and the entire community. To be there for the children to teach them, mentor them, teach them life skills, offer them psychosocial support, and reassure them every day that every one day everything would just be fine. Despite my effort, many things I cannot do. I am the only refugee teacher at my school. I teach about 200 learners in a school having a population of about 2,500 children. Out of these, 95% are refugees. How can I teach all these learners to understand reading and writing? Or how would you do it if you were in my shoes? I wish you could just stand in my shoes for an hour. You would understand where I am coming from. And that is the reason as to why we need to have enough teachers at school 
because I strongly believe that there is no better and safer place for our children and youths other than the school. And this is a collective responsibility. I hereby call upon the government of South Sudan. I call upon the government of Uganda. I call upon all corporate bodies. I call upon development partners and every well-wisher out there to invest in education. Increase the funding so that we are able to recruit enough teachers at school. Pay them well and in time. Just to cite an example, I earn about USD 120 per month in Uganda. How much money is that? And what can that money do for a normal person? That is why teacher salary enhancement should remain an agenda for consideration. This inconsideration is making us refugee teachers to suffer a lot at school. Most of the host community teachers are running away because the salary is small. They are going for government jobs because it is better paying. I cannot run away. When I look into the eyes of my learners, I just cannot leave. Sometimes I am like, is it because I am a refugee? Is that the reason why I must suffer? But again, I console myself and I'm like, no, it's because not everyone has prioritized education. And I think that is the reason for which we are gathered here today. Teachers need continuous professional development. We need in-service training. We need capacity building so that we update and upgrade our knowledge. This is more important for refugee teachers, especially us from South Sudan. We hold a different qualification other than Uganda's. So to fit into Uganda's system, we need an in-service program. I must appreciate Uganda National Teachers Union for bridging the gap, but there is still a gap remaining to ensure that every refugee teacher from South Sudan continue to teach in Ugandan schools. Many times teachers' issues are disregarded. They are not taken as important. People prioritize the children. But if I may ask a question, what is education without the teachers? Why should we have the 222 million youths and children at school when we don't have teachers who are recognized and valued? I think this should be a common call for all of us in this room. Teaching is a passion. Teaching is a call that we are here to do as teachers. But again, that needs support. As I conclude, our work to the children are critical. I am doing my part. Do your part. Thank you so much. Now here is Australia's Victorian Trade Union Choir with You Knew, Grandpa, You Knew. Oh, 
Now hear a song from 2030. We hope it's getting through to you. Why did your pals stay so dirty? How come you didn't just renew? You let your CO2 above us. Listen to our newscasts and features at radiolabor.net. The site also features English as an additional language lessons for trade unionists. I'm Mark Belanger. Radio Labor will be on a year-end union break until January 12, 2024. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.
I went down, down, down to the factory early on a Monday morning. When I got down to the factory, it was lonely, it was forlorn. Couldn't find Joe, Jack, John, or Jim. Nobody could I see. Nothing but buttons and bells and lights. All over the factory I walked, walked, walked Into the foreman's shack To find out just what was what Looked them in the eye And I said, what goes? This is the answer I got Well, his eyes turned red Then green, then blue And it suddenly dawned on me there was a robot sitting right there in the seat where the foreman used to be. I walked all around, all around, up and down, and across that factory. I watched all the buttons and the bells and the lights how it was a mystery to me. I hollered, Frank, Hank, Ike, Mike, Roy, Ray, Bill, and Fred, and Pete, and a great big mechanical voice boomed out, all your buddies are obsolete. about the factory 
she hugged me and kissed me and she cried a little bit and she sat down on my knee I don't understand all the buttons and lights but one thing I will say I thank the Lord that love still made in the good old-fashioned way I So we riffed off uh, Radio Labor, and uh, they they sang, uh, you knew, Grandpa, you knew, you knew, and just as we know what's going on now in Gaza, we know, for example, in the <clears throat> 1930s, there were all kinds of horrendous things going on in Nazi Germany, directed at, among others, but mostly at Jewish people. And even though sometimes things filtered out of Nazi Germany, the officials could say, oh, well, those were exceptions, those are extremists, and we're taking care of it. They could offer an excuse for what was going on so that People say in the United States could say they didn't know. Later on, they could say, oh, we didn't know. Like the people in Auschwitz and in the towns near the death camps. They could say they didn't know, but of course they knew. The smell would tell them. But people in the United States, for example, could say, well, we didn't know. People like Lindbergh went to Germany and talked about how wonderful it was. See, we don't have that, what is it called, that excuse. We know what's going on. It's on the TV, it's on the news, it's on every night. We know what's going on, and each one of us must bear a little bit of the guilt for what's going on. And what you want to do with that guilt, that's your business. Anyway, it's a very hard situation. So we had, uh, you knew, Grandpa, you knew. And then we had the car wash from Rolls-Royce in the 80s about people working at the car wash and having dreams like Tracy Chapman sang in the opening song today. A chance to be someone. And finally, Robert Carey's song from the 40s, I believe, about automation. And automation is showing itself now in every, almost every industry coming across as AI. 
Hey, what's going to happen when people are thrown out of their jobs? Where are they going to go? Well, they'll go to the street corner. They'll swell the ranks of the unemployed or the unem the lower employed, the low employed, people working low-paying jobs just to get by, or in many cases, not to get by. Struggle. And it's coming. So what's, what do they say? Let's don't agonize, organize. Here's Ronnie Gilbert singing a famous song about somebody who organized. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake Joe, by God, says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I ain't dead, says Joe, but I ain't dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling. got to kill went on to organize went on to organize Joe Hill ain't dead he says to me Joe Hill ain't never died where working men are out on strike Joe Hill is at their side Joe Hill is at their side. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, when workers strike and organize, that's where you'll find Joe Hill. That's where you'll find Joe Hill. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says
Joe Hill. I mean, we've been trying to get the Joe Hill story on here for uh, months. <laughs> okay, let's see what we got here for Joe Hill. A short biography, and if you're wondering, you know, who th is this Joe Hill, listen up. I'm Susan Stamberg. Seventy-five years ago today, a firing squad in Utah executed labor organizer and songwriter Joe Hill. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you and me. Joan Baez sang Joe Hill's story at Woodstock. Tonight in Salt Lake City, the story will be told and sung again as labor activists, death penalty opponents, and civil libertarians gather at the site of Joe Hill's execution. NPR's Howard Burkus reports Joe Hill's life and legacy are still debated. Joe Hill died here at a spot that is now a green lawn in a Salt Lake City park. In 1915, this was a prison yard. Joe Hill was bound and blindfolded here. A paper target was pinned to his chest. Hill had been tried, convicted, and sentenced to death for the murders of a grocer and his son. Tens of thousands of people around the world came to Hill's defense, including Helen Keller, President Woodrow Wilson, and the Swedish ambassador. Hill was a Swedish immigrant. They all claimed that Hill was convicted on flimsy circumstantial evidence. He was a victim, they said, of the copper barons, their hired thugs, and other union busters. The important thing to remember about Joe Hill is that he was killed for writing songs. He was killed for telling the truth. Utah Phillips is a folk singer and card-carrying member of the Industrial Workers of the World, the IWW, or Wobblies as they're known. The IWW wanted one big union for all working people. Joe Hill was a Wobbly who organized with music. That's why they killed him. They figured that out, that if everybody belonged to one big union, you could have a general strike that would last about half an hour. That terrified the magnates, the bosses. Terrified them, you know. There is power, there is power in a band of working folks When they stand hand in hand That's the power, that's the power that must rule in every land For industrial union People who believe Joe Hill is innocent are going to believe he's innocent. It's a religion for them. They want somebody to hold up as a symbol. John Morrison is a Salt Lake City businessman. Named after my grandfather, who was the victim of a murder, and Joe Hill was executed. My uncle who was about 17, and my father, who was 13, were in the store. My uncle pulled a gun from under the counter and shot back, and he in turn was shot. My father ran to his father and heard the death rattle. When he went to his brother, there was no sign at all. The family has never had any doubt about Joe Hill's Killed. He's a killer. He'll be a killer forever. 
That is Joe Hill. The Morrison family's grocery store was on this Salt Lake City street corner 75 years ago. A Mexican restaurant now stands in its place. The Morrisons are so certain about Joe Hill's guilt because his clothes matched those of one of the robbers, and he was treated for a gunshot wound the night of the murder. Remember, John Morrison's uncle shot at the men who killed his grandfather. But no witness could place Hill in the Morrison store. There was no direct evidence that Hill was ever there. It was a weak case. It was circumstantial evidence. There was hysteria. Both newspapers at that time were almost in a frenzy, and nobody can conclusively say whether he was guilty or innocent. Ryan Barnard is a civil rights attorney in Utah who is part of the effort to commemorate Joe Hill's life and death. Barnard notes that Hill hurt his own case by refusing to explain his gunshot wound. Hill said he was shot by a jealous husband, but he wouldn't name him or the woman they fought over. Joe Hill didn't explain where he was that night and declined to take the witness stand, and the prosecutor told the jury, Joe Hill hasn't explained to you where he was, so you should presume that he was doing something wrong. What I, I think there is no question about is that he didn't get a fair trial. Appeals failed. Joe Hill wrote his last words. Don't waste time mourning. Organize, he said. And could you arrange for my body to be hauled to the state line to be buried? I don't want to be found dead in Utah. His body was sent to Chicago and cremated. His ashes were sent to IWW locals in every state except Utah. Seventy-five years later, Joe Hill is a symbol of all kinds of issues and causes and actions. The death penalty, due process, free speech, civil disobedience, sit-down strikes, union organizing, and the use of music as an organizing tool. Folk singer Utah Phillips. There were many immigrant workers who had never been to school, who were young. The ideas that they were being asked to grapple with were sometimes quite complicated. The job of the labor singer was to take those complicated ideas and boil them down to language that everybody can understand. They bullied and oppressed us, but still our union grows. We're gonna find a way now, shorter hours and higher pay now. We're gonna win the day now, where the Fraser River flows. And then he was also good on taking hymns. He used humor, sarcasm. Labor folk singer Joe Glazer. Some guys write, oh, we're going to fight, we're going to march. That's all right, but you get tired of that. And Joe Hill, he said, you will eat by and by in the glorious land in the sky. Work and pray, live on hay. You get pie in the sky when you die. That's a lie. Join the Wobblies, you get pie in the stomach right here on Earth. Joe Hill's fame today may be due more to the songs written about him than the songs he wrote himself. The best-known biographical tune was first sung in 1936 at a summer camp for leftists in upstate New York. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die. As Joe, I didn't. Revival.
commemoration. They've been trying to bring him back for 75 years. John Morrison, the grandson and nephew of people Joe Hill was accused of killing. There's been a continuing saga of reclamation. So it makes it hard to put a smile on Impossible because continually in front of you. John Morrison and his family don't plan to mark this day in any special way. But tonight, several hundred people are expected to gather in this Salt Lake City Park. This is where Joe Hill faced a firing squad 75 years ago. Candles will flicker in the darkness tonight. A few speeches are planned. Joe Hill certainly never imagined what his stop in Utah would bring. He simply sought work in Salt Lake City on his way to Chicago. Now, people sing about him as hero, symbol, legend, and martyr. Oh, Joe Gillespie, alive as you and me. As I but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never die, says he. I never die, says he. This is Howard Burkus reporting. With memories that never die. Listen to a little Billy Holiday, and we'll come back uh, on the other side. Stay tuned. There's no one could be so sad.
Okay, there's Billie Holiday, and um, I want to play now a, a Hanukkah song. And note that there is no religion more dedicated to justice and to wisdom and to peace than Judaism. So the fight now is not about Judaism. It's about Zionism, which is a whole different thing. A fact that Jewish people deserve a state because of what's happened to them in the past. And it's horrific what happened to them. It's horrific what Hamas did, kidnapping people and killing people indiscriminately. But Judaism impels people, compels people to seek justice, and that includes justice for Palestinians. Here we go with a happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to you. Is the night sunset twilight? Head back, come along, take flight. I am twinkle and a twinkle and a shooting in the sky. I'm shining, I'm feeling alright. But I can't afford the one you love. This sunlight from below to above. Eight nights, celebrate till I fly in the sky like a dove. Let me unwind as I light up a flame in the name of the lion of Judah. Drop like a hammer when I fall like the rain. Sun shower, feel a flower when I hit like a train.
That was Matishyahu singing Happy Hanukkah to you. Okay, let me uh, highlight one of the sponsors of this show. Her name is Josie, and she has a restaurant called Los Jaritos. And this is how it goes. Starts out with a, a saying. In Spanish you say, como Mexico no hay dos. Como means, uh, Totally unique. Como Mexico, no hay dos. Como San Jalisco, tampoco. So it says, like Mexico, there, there aren't two. Mexico is unique. And so is San Jalisco. For over 40 years, the Ibarra family has been serving up the very best in Mexican food to the people of San Francisco. What's your favorite? Enchiladas? Tacos, chilaquiles, the ultimate in birria, the best salsa and chips in town, brought up to you before you order. How about your favorite vegetarian omelet, doritos, and tacos? They got them. Find them all and more. San Jalisco, corner of 20th and South Van Ness in the very heart of the mission. El Mero Mero. Come on down to San Jalisco, where the food tells you you're in Mexico. When you do go to San Jalisco, please tell them that you heard about. Labor and love, the bees. Okay. Wanna talk about a person now that I had an organizer, towering figure in the politics of social justice. A woman who was like a bridge 
woman uh, Chicana for sure, and very very involved in the idea the Chicana moratorium and the ideas of that came out of the Chicano movement. But also early on, a crusader for social justice for people of all people of color. And the civil rights movement and the peace movement. I'm talking about Elizabeth Martinez, known to everyone as Lolita. As I say, I had the good fortune to meet her on several occasions. Well, let's just listen. That was a speech that she gave about women. The International Women's Day. So I wanted to start by talking a little bit about uh, some of the lessons for me personally of the first Unida struggle and how I think they're lessons for all women <laughs> in this time. They're really historical lessons. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, one of them is, one of those lessons is that, uh, w that women should be, at, should, can be, and should be in leadership in struggles. That leadership is not always recognized. In this case, maybe it was a little bit easier because most of the workers were women, but still, so often it's a struggle. It's a struggle in terms of men uh, accepting uh, women's leadership. Uh, and I think that uh, the first thing that women have showed that uh, have, have, have taught us really that they cannot, we cannot have any kind of sexism in our struggles. Uh, it's not. It's, it's very, very, very. Uh, counterproductive. And I, I remember in the 60s in the Movimiento, uh, when I was in Nuevo Mexico, and it was a struggle then, you know, at that time, okay, the Chicanas, they, they could make the coffee, but not, they could type the minutes from the meetings, but not, they could type the guy's speeches, if they, well, not the speeches, but they could sleep with the guys. <laughs> they better, but anyway. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, doing security, Planning the strategy of a protest, being the main speakers at a protest, no. this was not allowed. It didn't happen, nor did it happen for uh, for gay and lesbian people either. This was like no, no. And one of the best things that's happened today is that uh, it's not like that anymore, the way it was then, and uh, it certainly isn't like that today. And I live in California, in San Francisco, and there's a lot of uh, Latino. Uh, Mexicano, but also Salvadoreño, Guatemalteca, the whole, the whole thing of, uh, there's a lot of activism there. And the leaders are women, mostly. And I'm talking about from ages 13 up. Hmm? These are 13, 14, 15, like that. By the time they're 18, they're veterans, no? <laughs> they're, really, they're veterans. They say, I'm getting burned out. <laughs> oh, well, where does that leave me? But <laughs> anyway, so, um, but they're wonderful leaders. And they have carried on a struggle against sexism, and they've made it uh, sort of like a, a no-no in, in, the, in the movements there. Maybe not so much in their personal relationships, but at least in the working together, right? In the protests against racism, in the schools, in all the different demands they have. They've made it a no-no, and uh, it's very exciting to see this happen for me, having lived through the other. And I think if you've been through any of that, you know what I mean. They even, I mean, some of the groups have a role, rule, you know, that everything has to be 50-50, and men have women. Leadership must be half and half. The speakers at a rally must be half and half. 
These are good rules, you know? I mean, it's okay to be a little rigid about some things when you're fighting millennia, no? Millennia of oppression. I've got little rules, it's fine now and then. So, but I think uh, for me, the slogan of Cuestionida, uh, La Mujer Luchando, El Mundo Transformando, has always been one of my most favorite. And uh, I've tried to pass it on to some of them also. Because that's what, that's what we're trying to do, all of us. I think another lesson for me, um, from Cuestionida, has been uh, that uh, you can do a lot even if you don't have very much formal education to start with. You can do a whole lot. And uh, I think we've seen in, in, uh, in Fuerzanita women who might, might not even finish high school, you know, uh, become leaders, learn skills, uh, technology, todo eso, uh, and move on and not been, not been convinced that they were forever, you know, that they were inferior because of lack of formal education. And that's so important to me. Because a lot of times, you know, we said, not only are we women, but also we didn't even get through college or high school. And I worked in Nuevo Mexico with a, with a lot of um, putting out a newspaper, no? El Grito del Norte, which is kind of a radical movement newspaper. Um, most of the women working on it were high school graduates at best. I think we had one lonely college graduate somewhere. But, you know, we were transformando that mundo, and they were, they were making it happen to me. And I think that another lesson for me is um, the importance of uh, watching out for movidas, uh, from the, uh, you know, the people you're fighting against, the opposition, uh, to win over public opinion, uh, to uh, convince people that, oh, we're really nice guys, look at all the things we're doing for people. And I think certainly Levi Strauss is a champion no? in that game of trying to convince people what liberal, how liberal they are and their labor policies, pakan, what generous uh, 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 separation packages they offer and all that. And so we have to watch out for, for being con confused huh? and being um, won over by the arguments of a lot of people who really are not on our side. And I think about that sometimes today, even here, on a different way, day, because um, you have a bush in the state. <laughs> a human bush. <laughs> bush yeah. You have a bush in the state who's trying to convince all the Mexicanos that he really loves us. So, um, <laughs> and uh, in some ways it's harder to deal with that than it is with Pete Wilson in my state, who at least was an openly piggish, racist, you know, <laughs> everything. He went, for, he went for broke with his horrible laws against immigrant rights, against affirmative action in Tolosa. So, and I think, you know, we're going to see more and more of that. Uh, the Republican Party, in many areas, has realized that uh, it's, it lost a lot of Latino votes in California, for example, with the policies of peoples. So they're trying to clean up their act, you know, and make friends by Caipaya, uh, and out of self-interest, not because they decided that, uh, that poor people, Latino people, are so nice after all. So we're going to see all kinds of... Um, confusion created, and uh, for example, the, the uh, proposition that uh, ended affirmative action, number one, it was the champion of that was an African-American man, hmm? Ward Connolly. So you think, you know, well, it's a black man, he must know about racism. No, because he was a friend of, of the governor uh, in terms of the common uh, corporate interests. <coughs> 
and so what did they call this initiative on the ballot? It was called the California Civil Rights Initiative. Suena muy bonito, no? Civil rights, okay. But what it did was, it was pretending that affirmative action was hurting the civil rights of, uh, of men and, and white people in general. So they call it the Civil Rights Initiative. So we've, we're going to be up against a lot more of these tricks in Hesse. And again, I think uh, the person either stands as an example of uh, not buying, not letting those tricks be bought, not believing all the goodies that are supposedly um, being offered to us. And finally, and in some ways this is the biggest lesson of all, I think, is that uh, I think Wesley um, Nina made it very clear in their work, in their situation, that, uh, that the enemy, uh, it, isn't, it isn't white people. It isn't even just men. It's a whole system which exploits people. And that's what, that's what Levi Strauss represents. And it's a system that is the capitalist system, which is supposed to be triumphant, right? Um, but, uh, and globalizing, right? Uh, but it's, uh, what I think it really is, is a system that very much exploits uh, people like everyone in this room. I don't see any Ricos aquí, but maybe this is hiding over there. Oh, yeah, okay, wait. There's one Rico. Rico de alguna manera, no? But you know what I mean. It's one thing to be part of the system and making it happen. And I think that uh, we learned with, you know, we learned from examples like Personita that there's a connection between this class, social class that rules us, uh, and racism and oppression of women and all these things. So there's a lot of linkages, no? A lot of things are connected. Sometimes we don't see the connections. We don't see the connections. And I think we need to be looking for them. And why, in other words, why is it in the interest of, um, oh, let's say, well, why was it in the interest of Mecha students, right? At the, uh, I say, um, Palo Alto Community College to, to join in a demonstration protesting the killing of Matthew Shepard gay youth in Wyoming. There's an understanding there of the connections that we would be much more understanding of why it matters and why these are human issues that we have to be fighting together. And I think that's, um, that's those are really important lessons because too often we say, ah, that's somebody else's community, that's somebody else's worry, that's somebody else's oppression. And it's not, uh, and there's a little saying from, um, come on, see if I can remember, it's from, long time ago, um, but it was from World War II, I think, and the saying was something like, uh, they came for the Jews, and I wasn't a Jew, so I didn't do anything. Then they came for the black people, but I wasn't black, so I didn't do anything. And then they came for the women, but I wasn't a woman, so I didn't do anything. And then they came for me, and there was nobody There's Betita Martinez, <clears throat> a profound point of view speech. Like I say, she <clears throat> was involved in several movements, oftentimes before a lot of other people, civil rights movement, people of color, labor movement. You heard a couple of comments that she 
labor movement, gay rights movement, Chicano moratorium, Chicano movement, you name it, she was involved in it and she was always very eloquent, very active. Just a very inspiring person. of years ago. Okay, Betty Martinez, Tico uh, Martinez. And I wanted to talk a little bit about her, about her life, before we get on to the three union leaders. Um, she was born in Washington, D.C. Her father was secretary in the uh, Mexican embassy. Her mother uh, taught advanced high school Spanish. In 1946, she graduated from Swarthmore College, first Latina to do so. Her daughter Tessa was born in 1954. She worked in New York for the United Nations. She was involved with Beverly Axelrod. Lawyer. She founded a bilingual newspaper called El Grito del Norte. Chicano Communications Center, moved to the Bay Area in 1976, taught women's studies, organized around the Latino community, taught ethnic studies and women's studies at Hayward State. Um, just a tireless, tireless worker social justice, and like I say, labor justice. Now let's see if we can, I said we had, uh, here's a labor, labor leaders, leader of the Teamsters, leader of the United Auto Workers, Leader of the hospitality, airline hospitality workers. And we'll start out with Sarah Nelson, president of the Association of Flight Attendants. Workers who can't make a living wage and are actually sleeping in the gate areas because they are working around the clock, shifts around the clock, and sometimes different jobs at that airport, that makes all of us less safe. They also cannot live near those airports because they are usually in major metropolitan areas and they're having to take transportation sometimes three hours back and forth, so they don't even have time to go home between those shifts. So we've got to raise the standard for all of the workers. It's about safety, it's about security, and it's about basic dignity at work. The standards that are put in these companies, that productivity standards that are not attainable, and what we're able to do at UPS, protect against such unattainable productivity standards, make sure we protect 
the members, but more importantly, provide a quality uh, of workforce that is going to be sustainable. And we did that through protections in our collective bargaining agreement. At Amazon, you are 100% correct. Those workers at Amazon are held hostage by technology. They're held hostage and held to a higher standard that's not achievable. And when the company decides you're no longer worth it, they just throw you out and recycle someone new in there. That is why there's a 150% turnover ratio. That is why they have the most uh, injuries per OSHA, and that is why they need to be organized and protected under a collective bargaining agreement. Looking at the success of our contract, we're seeing that spill over into the non-union industry. After we announced our tentative agreements at the big three, Toyota made an unprecedented move and uh, reduced their progression to full pay to four years from eight years. They gave their employees a 9% pay increase. Honda raised wages 11%. And just yesterday, Hyundai announced that they're going to follow our pattern and raise wages by 25% for their employees through the year 2028. Uh, we call that the UAW bump, and that stands for You Are Welcome. When you have workers who the living wage and are actually sleeping in the gate. Okay, that was um, Senate testimony from three prominent labor leaders active today, Sarah Nelson, Sean O'Brien, and Sean Fain. Don't agonize, as Joe Hill said. Organize. You want to play a song now. This is a song I heard uh, last week, and it exposes what something we call white privilege, or white privilege, and white privilege for some people means unprivileged for others. This guy, Eric Kilburn, sort of goes down the list of how white people have a privilege they're often not even aware of. Yes, I 
Okay, yeah, that's a guy named Eric Kilburn. In fact, it seems that for a long time, white America didn't really believe that people of color, African American people, were catching hell every day. They didn't believe that there was police brutality focused on black And then in the last couple years, there have been so many cases, so blatant, they couldn't, they couldn't ignore it. And there it was on, on video. All of a sudden, people became aware that, oh, yeah, um, there are a lot of shootings. Police are shooting a lot of people. Hey. Anyway, Eric Kilburn, Reckoning is the name of his album. I understand he was a record producer for a long time, then decided to make his own. Uh, 
about labor history in two from the Rick Smith show? I didn't mind work. This is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1947. That was the day that the United Mine Workers leader, John L. Lewis, wrote the AFL stating, We disaffiliate. Lewis had had a stormy history with the American Federation of Labor. He was central to the 1935 split that soon led to the founding of the Congress of Industrial Organizations. By 1942, he led the United Mine Workers out of the CIO. Reasons included disagreements over labor's relationship to President Roosevelt and U.S. entry into World War II and the running of the CIO itself. For a brief time, the United Mine Workers reaffiliated with the AFL. But by the fall of 1947, Lewis found himself in fundamental disagreement with the Federation over its response to the recently passed Taft-Hartley Act. At the October AFL convention, the discussion centered on the signing of anti-communist affidavits as required by Taft-Hartley. Lewis was virtually alone in his refusal to comply with the act. He noted that the act would have been stillborn if labor leaders had stood tall and refused to sign the affidavits. Further, he said, quote, This act is a trap, a pitfall for organizations of labor. This act was passed to oppress labor, to make difficult its current enterprises for collective bargaining, to make more difficult the securing of new members for this labor movement, without which our movement will become so possessed of inertia that there is no action and growth. In a labor movement where there is no growth, there is no security for its existence. Because deterioration sets in and unions, like men, retrograde. Despite the split, the United Mine Workers would remain a powerful, independent union for more than 40 years. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more, I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1971. That was the day that Namibian workers began a general strike to protest the contract labor system. As a colony of South Africa until 1990, Namibia faced many of the same apartheid-like measures that blacks faced in South Africa. Black migrant workers in Namibia comprised the majority of workers in the diamond mines, fisheries, and commercial farms. They were forced to live in the northern third of the country and were subjected to the past system. The past system determined where they could live and work and when they could travel. Restrictions on their rights as workers were directly tied to restrictions they experienced as colonial subjects. Because there were no trade unions at the time, this strike is considered to be an important first step in the 20-year fight for independence. More than 13,500 black contract workers participated, effectively shutting down 23 key workplaces and 11 mines. The indigenous Ovambo and Kavango workers demanded the right to choose jobs and contracts to bring their families to distant work locations, a new pass system, and increased wages based on work type, not skin color. In her book, Labor and Democracy in Namibia, Gretchen Bauer says that while workers did win wage increases, the pass system remained largely intact. Employers were angry that workers now had the right to bid on jobs, 
quit at will and receive holiday bonuses and leave pay. Workers were upset that they were still subjected to restrictions of movement and arbitrary arrest and detention. But the strike began the long process of eroding the past system, contract labor, and second-class citizenship for the indigenous workers of Namibia. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1995. That was the day machinists at Boeing ended their 69-day strike. 33,000 workers won increased pay and health benefits. They also won job protections against subcontracting. Contractual clauses against subcontracting were important, especially given the fact that NAFTA had just been passed two years earlier. The contract specified that the union be given three months' notice regarding any plans to subcontract out work. It also incentivized keeping work in-house by calling for increased benefits to laid-off workers and mandatory retraining and re-employment of workers displaced by subcontracting. These provisions came after IAM members rejected two previous contract offers. They were furious at the initial demands for concessions, even as Boeing executives were awarded multi-million dollar stock options. At the time, the IAM and its members lauded this as a total victory. For a few years, Boeing abided by the contract they signed. Subsequently, Boeing bosses have routinely violated their agreements. Many of these provisions were lost in the 2002 contract and then recaptured in 2008. But the next contract negotiations witnessed a renewed fight for job security. Over the past two decades, Boeing workers have seen massive layoffs, subcontracting, pension freezes and phase-outs, and relocation of their work, all while the company rakes in billions of dollars in profits, gets lucrative tax breaks and subsidies, and has close to 5,000 back orders for planes. Subcontracting clauses are important, but can only work when they are enforced. Victories like the winning strike in 1995 can serve as a reminder for workers today that if they stand together in solidarity, they can win better wages, hours, and conditions at the bargaining table. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1921. That was the day Kansas National Guard troops marched into Crawford County coal fields to quell the Mother's March. 8,000 miners went on strike that September to protest the jailing of their United Mine Worker District leader, Alexander Hoett. Hoett was found guilty of violating a statewide strike injunction for calling workers out on strike in 1919. Governor Henry Justin Allen had established a state industrial court which ruled strikes illegal. Hoett's members considered it a new kind of Fugitive Slave Act. They likened their jailed leader to a modern-day John Brown. The United Mine Workers opposed the court and the increasing number of unauthorized strikes. Many district leaders were divided over this protest strike and chose not to support it. The strike also divided the membership, and some went back to work. Conditions worsened after three months until the striking miners' wives took matters into their own hands. They met in Franklin to organize a march that would effectively shut down the mine. Their numbers grew from 500 that first day to over 4,000. According to Benjamin Guzan, for three days the women stormed area mines, obstructed traffic, and assaulted workers. When met with resistance, they threw red pepper at scab workers and overturned their lunch buckets. 
showering the miners with coffee and what had been intended as their midday meal. Four companies of National Guard troops, including a machine gun division, arrived to stop the march and break the strike. The press derisively referred to the women as the Amazon Army. Many women were arrested, but mobilized their newly won voting power to unseat anti-labor politicians the next spring. As a result, the state's industrial court was ruled unconstitutional. Like what you hear? Check out more at Labor History. There's Rick Smith with his uh, labor history. Can't tell where you're going till you know where you've been. This is Labor and Love signing off. I'll hand you over to uh, Flat Black Plastic. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table, negotiating table where that is, where you work. You're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. Still got a couple weekends to go here on Mutiny Radio, so keep tuning in. Like I say, the first of the year will see us, most of us, changing over to Radio Valencia. Right? Have a good week. Good work. I don't get asked what do white people think Don't know what it's like to wake up angry every day I guess I'm just lucky Are you tired of swimming through a sea of hydrogen? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, dogs, and get aboard the pirate ship and be soon at mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship and get sailed through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasure. It's got live comedy, a small business advice, LGBT-friendly sports, vinyl, gutter punk, has the best programming Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face in a crack. Holy Patrick, Namaste. Every Monday at 6 p.m., it's Joke Workshop streaming live on mutinyradio.fm. This was Bale from your third eye on joke creation and what it takes to be a professional comic in the five sakasanas of San Francisco's comedy scene.
This all ages open mic invites Kamreya. Oh, pre-sign by Venmoing two to five dollars at Mutiny Radio. Join us live for a small and special audience at the Mutiny Radio Studio and Gallery Performance Space, 2781 21st Street at Florida Street in the deep, deep, deep mission. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Does my ponytail look cool? Thank you. Namaste. Tuesday used to be the most unlikely night for fun. But every week at 6 p.m., come to OMG's Tuesday Open Mic. And see comics work out new material for free. For free. They get your Tuesday night party on with two-for-one well drink specials during the 6 to 8 p.m. show. Check out Eventbrite to reserve your free seat every Tuesday, 6 p.m. At OMG on Savory 6th Street. Savory 6th Street. Show up to go up. Hey, kids. It's your pal, Spiderman. <laughs> Sorry, Spiderman. Artemis Spiderman. When I'm not swinging through the senior facility, best in Mysterio at Boggle, or getting beautifully plowed by the rhino, I'm headed down to Mutiny Radio at the corner of 21st and Florida. They got some shlemiels doing the laugh laugh. But hey, don't be a schmuck and donate 2 to $5 on... Hold, hold on, what is this? Let me get my glasses. The print's too small. Then Mo? That's not real. What is that, Swedish? You knew that, right? This is in San Francisco. I'll drown in on. It's nap time. Weekly comedy at the best neighborhood bar in the city. Join your friends from Mutiny Radio every Thursday at 8 p.m. at the Bar on Dolores at 29th and Dolores. Starting after any very important sports game that might happen to be on, you're guaranteed a night of laughter for free. And when paired with the drink specials and the nicest bartender in San Francisco, it'll become a Thursday ritual. Show up to go out for comics, and please, reserve your free tickets on Eventbrite so we know you're coming to laugh. There is... <laughs> happy, happy hour the, is when the comedy is the cheapest. Happy hour, the most free two hours, hour-long comedy on the radio and internet streaming Live, 278 21st Street. Come down, be in the audience. Dog friendly. Dog friendly. We are. Mutiny Radio is absolutely dog friendly. Ooh, a dog party. Ain't no party like a dog party. <laughs> dog party at Mutiny Radio. Every Friday, dog party at Mutiny Radio. Happy hour. 278 <laughs> 21st Street. Happy hour. Mutiny Radio. Dot FM. Here. In dot SF. Calling all crusties, punks, and poses. Pick your posteriors up off the pavement, pack up your pins and patches, and prepare to party. The Pacific Northwest Vest Fest returns this Saturday only at the SeaTac Expo Center. Whether you're a leather lover or just a denim demon, if you're looking to dress to impress for less, do not stress. You'll find all the best in pre-distressed vests right here at the Pacific Northwest Vest Fest. With over 40 vendors selling countless crossover styles, you'll find the perfect thing for your scene. Metal, thrash, Walmart, high-vis, and everything in between. All in one place. One day only. Unless it's a jacket. If you need a jacket, take your square ass somewhere else. 
Never pay for fabric you don't need. Ditch the sleeves, but save the rest for the Pacific Northwest Fest Fest this Saturday only at SeaTac. Bring a can of PBR, get it half price. Daddy, Daddy, what are we going to do today? At 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon? Oh, over there at the parklet in front of Atlas Cafe for Titans of Comedy. That, that's Titans of Comedy. Apparently, they've got great sandwiches, cafe drinks, and even some of my favorite beverages, like beer, wine, and sangria. All the things I drink to forget your mother. My new Uncle Blake says you smell like a brewery. What did I say about interrupting me? Anywho, right here on 20th and Alabama in the Deep Mission, paired with tasty comedy from Bay Area's favorite comics. For free! Every Saturday. Or at least the two Saturdays a month that the court mandates I have to see you. It's sunshine, and even in the drizzle, but not too much. And Daddy, remember after soccer practice when it was raining and you didn't come? I really don't. Anywho... Reservations on Eventbrite. Talking. L S D fap acid fapping fapping and acid acid fapping fapping and acid fap 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 acid. Thank you. That song is called Acid and Fapping. Up in the head, Mutiny Radio Festival, Ahoy! Ah, very good! Ah, very good, Legless Joe! I'm surprised you can see from the crow's nest with no legs! It's to get ready! Crew, the festival is upon us! Scurvy Steve, how many comics? Over a hundred comics! You're looking good, Scurvy Steve! Glad the scurvy hasn't taken you! Aye, aye, Captain! You! No Liver Mary! How many venues? We've got nine venues, sir! And you, boy, what's your name? Very good! And finally, Eleven Fingers Sally! What about the tickets? You can find all of your tickets on Eventbrite, sir! Check out www.mutinyradio.fm What is that? I don't know what a website is. I'm a pirate. (laughs) (laughs) 
bottom from quick to the festival. All sails ahead. Arr. Pirate Arr. noises. Ambiance. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best pro 